Good morning again. (laughs) That's certainly our prayer this morning, isn't it? Teach me thy way. Um, So uh, you can go ahead and turn in your Bibles to the uh, book of 1 Timothy. And uh, I'm sure most of you are already turning there because uh, you've been following along for the last few weeks. And uh, just put a little uh, broader context on what we're talking about this morning. Um, The book of Timothy was written from Paul to Timothy in order that uh, Timothy could know how to conduct himself. And uh, we're actually getting to the the theme verse uh, just next week. So uh, we're looking forward to hearing that from uh, Luke next week. I'm talking about the purpose of this book is so that we know, so that the believers can know how they ought to conduct themselves in the house of God and towards one another. And that's the purpose of the book. And over the last couple of weeks, um, we've talked about the leaders in the church and the, uh, the character qualities that are necessary for the leadership in the church. And so we spent a few uh, weeks talking about the role, uh, work, and qualifications for elders, which we see are the, the, um, the spiritual uh, leaders of the church. Of course, they follow uh, Christ as the, the head of the church, but they're the leaders of the local body. And then uh, next we got into the office of deacons, um, and deacons are another position of ministry. We see that they're the servants of the church. Um, they are recognized as, um, import, as an important office in the church, and there's um, qualifications for them as well, and that's where we find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 3. Uh, in verses, uh, the qualifications for the deacons are in verses 8 through th- uh, 13. Uh, Luke touched on the first couple verses last week, um, but we saw that for the leaders, it says, here's the qualifications for the elders. They're the spiritual leaders, and there's all sorts of very high standards that those men are held to. And then it says in verse 8, it says, likewise deacons. So we, f- we see right away that even though the deacons, um, someone might be tempted to say, well, they have a, a lesser position as the servants. They're not the spiritual leaders. They attend to the more physical matters um, of serving the saints and taking care of the poor and the widows and all that stuff. Um, he doesn't say, and to a lesser extent, deacons. He says, likewise, deacons. In other words, the qualifications for them are just as high and just as important um, to, the, to the body and to the, uh, to the church. Um, so let me, let me read the stuff that was talked about last week. It says in 1 Timothy 3.8, Likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double-tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested, let them, then let them serve as deacons, being found blameless. And that's where we stopped last week. This week, we find ourselves at a second likewise. And so there's another uh, standard coming up in that next verse that's also important, um, but it's for another category. So we had elders, we have deacons, and then we have one verse in here, verse 11, 
that applies to the wives of deacons. And we saw um, up a little higher that um, there's also standards for elders and their wives. So now we've got standards for deacons and for um, the deacons' wives here. So let's look at verse 11. Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and a great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. So there's the section we're going to cover today, uh, the next couple verses on deacons. But let's take a quick look here at um, the the, um, standard of character for the deacons' wives. And I'm going to backtrack for a second. Um, we've been talking over the last couple weeks about uh, the qualifications for elders and deacons as part of um, a broader challenge of character to the whole assembly. The, the leaders must have these qualifications to be recognized as leaders in the church. But those same character qualifications are something that everyone in the church is supposed to be challenged to live their lives with those same character qualities, being blameless, um, not given to drunkenness or dissipation, um, being faithful to their spouse, uh, having uh, a good family life, good peaceable family life, and so on and so forth. All of those qualities, even though they're must-haves for the leadership of the church, they're a challenge to all the believers in the church. And Luke used the analogy um, of, uh, of hand washing, and that I don't know if you guys remember that slide from a week ago where it said the, the sign said, employees must wash hands before returning to work. And he said that, that um, you'd hope in a restaurant, it's actually required by law that the employees wash their hands before they serve food, otherwise a lot of people could end up sick. And so it's a must for the employees in a restaurant. But you hope that everybody washes their hands after using the restaurant in order to, pr- to promote general cleanliness and good health. And the same is true, uh, it was an excellent analogy, you hope for the, for the leadership it's a must-have, but for the rest of the saints, their character should be the same in order to c- promote the good health and vitality of the body of Christ. So that's uh, very relevant to what we're talking about right now. So. With the qualifications of wives, or um, I shouldn't say qualifications, the standards um, for the um, wives of the, the deacons, said the first one is they must be reverent. What does it mean to be reverent? Well, you can actually see up in verse 8, it says the same thing, likewise deacons must be reverent. So what does reverent mean? If it's the same standard for both, what does that mean? And Luke talked about that last week. And it, the root of the word really means to be dignified. Um, or another t- uh, take on it might be to take things seriously. Um, you can think of, think of someone who's uh, dignified, who has a, a higher position, like an ambassador or something, right? They have a certain standard of, uh, of, of bearing and conducting themselves that they're not engaging in low activities. They're not... Um, behaving rudely towards the people that they're supposed to be ambassadors towards. They're not um, 
making coarse jokes, um, treating their responsibilities with disdain. No, they have a certain amount of dignity. They have a position and an office that they must fulfill, and they're going about it in a right, proper way. And so that's what applies to the deacon's wives. They have a role as the wife of a deacon, as a, a fellow servant, as it were. Remember, uh, Luke talked quite a bit about deacons being servants, right? So if uh, a husband and wife are a team together, that makes them fellow servants of the church. And so the, uh, a deacon's wife must equally treat her, um, <laughs> her position as the uh, wife of a deacon with reverence and take that responsibility seriously. Okay, uh, so we talked about reverent. The second word, um, I'm going to see if uh, Luke can put this up on the screen here. I'm not a, a Greek scholar, but there's a, a Greek word here that's, that's used next. What do, you, what do you think of when you see that word uh, diabolos? Diabolos. What do you th- Howard, what do you think of when you see the word diabolos? Something to do with the devil, right? You think that's instantly where your mind goes. Well, the, the next word here, it talks about in verse 11, it says, not slanderers. So that word diabolos is trans- translated slanderer. And I, I was really surprised when I, when I looked that word up to see what it meant because I wasn't expecting such a strong word for slanderer. Um, but it really means someone who's in, engaged in the, <laughs> the very activity that the devil is engaged in, right? The, uh, it calls the devil the accuser of the bre- brethren. In other words, he's always pointing fingers and uh, ascribing guilt and trying to tear people down. And so you can see someone who's a slanderer, they're really taking sides with the devil against another person or against the church. That's awful. And uh, we're so, um, at least I know uh, in my experience, we're so tempted to say, oh, yeah, that person gossips and that's harmful, but, you know, everybody gossips a little bit. You know, it's, it's not such a big deal. But no, the word is diabolos, of, of the devil, tearing people down. And so you can see what an... Uh, a strong word is used to describe such an important, um, it's, you know, it says not a slander. In other words, this is really important. We can't, as saints, and uh, in this context, the, the deacon's wife, can't be engaged in that sort of activity. And you could, you could see how there might be a lot of opportunity for that um, as the uh, deacon and his wife are uh, perhaps working together to... Uh, take care of people um, or, or serving in the church, you could see how there might be opportunities. Um, say they went into someone's home to serve them, and there was a situation in that home that wasn't so great, that they were there to serve this person, to build them up, but they observed some situation, and instead of keeping quiet, they start slandering that person who they went into their home to serve them. And you could see how quickly that might tear apart a church if the people who were there 
supposed to be building the church up are actually taking sides with the devil against that person and tearing them down. Oh, they don't know how to do anything. Oh, their, their life is a mess. You could see how that would quickly destroy a church if uh, a deacon or, or the deacon's wife was engaged in slandering the people in the assembly. And there's, it's a very strong word and a very clear warning against that sort of activity. And uh, it applies to all of us. We ought to all be examining our own lives and say, hey, that thing that I said about someone else, did I really need to say that? Did that build them up? Did that not just build them up, but did it build the unity of the body? Did it bring uh, two people closer together, or did it tear them apart? Because (laughs) the reality of it is, we're all human. We all have issues. We all make mistakes. But you can see throughout the Bible, we're called to forgive one another and to build one another up. There's dozens of verses um, throughout the New Testament that talk about the church and the body building itself up together in love. And I can't think of anything less loving than constantly pointing at the faults of another person in order to ridicule them or make them shame feel shamed or to, or to try and build yourself up. Well, I'm not like such and such another person who engages in this activity. You can see how that quickly becomes de- detrimental and it becomes you're trying to push everyone down so you can pile yourself up on top of the pyramid of all the people you're pushing down. Man, that's harmful activity and the, there's a strong warning against it. Don't join forces with the devil against the church and engaging in slandering others. All right, the next uh, uh, call to uh, character is the word temperate. And the word temperate carries the, uh, the connotation of someone who's clear-minded, who's a, a good decision maker, who is not given to passions of anger or doubt or greed or anything like that. They're, they're good at making clear decisions, doing what's best for the people around them. Um, and I can, uh, I can think of how important that would be for any wife in her uh, relationship with her husband to be clear-headed and to make good decisions that support their marriage and support the two of them. Um, and not being given to uh, passionate uh, outbursts of wrath or, um, or uh, selfishness or anything like that. Um, there's really a... Uh, Uh, a very clear uh, case where this is very necessary for someone to have a clear head. Um, And you could could think of of someone who's called to be a servant, right? Um, What what would it be like if if a servant in a a noble household, uh, and the master said... uh, all right, servant, it's your turn to provide a, to cook dinner for the evening for the household. And that servant says, ah, why me? Why? And goes on and on and on. No, they're a servant. That's their job. <laughs> you don't, they don't get to be angry and, and passionate and have an outburst over that. No, they need to keep a clear, level head to, to 
fulfill their responsibilities as a servant to the church. And uh, I'll admit, there can be an awful temptation when you're doing any sort of service for the church to say, why am I doing this and not someone else? You know, there's plenty of other people that could have done this. Why is it me? And that's, that's a very easy trap to fall into. But it's clearly shown in this verse that's not, not something we can be engaging in. The, uh, the next phrase is faithful in all things. And just as you can see that a, a servant must be temperate, clear-headed, a servant also must be faithful. What good would it be if you have a servant who's always forgetting things? Oh, master, I'm sorry, I forgot to make you dinner. Oh, I'm sorry, your bed's unmade. Oh, I'm sorry, the floor's, the bathroom's a mess, you know? And it goes on and on. Oh, I, I know you told me to do that. I'm, I'm getting right to it. I just got this one other thing. It's an easy trap to fall into. But there's a clear, <laughs> it's very clear, be faithful in the little things. And Luke talked about this a little bit last week. Um, he brought in the passage where our Lord says, um, using an illustration about servants, he said, he who is faithful in little will also be faithful in much. And Luke talked a bit last week about how so oftentimes we're like, yeah, give me some big responsibility. I could totally do that. And it, it talks also about the deacons being tested, right? Well, how do you test someone? You give them little responsibilities. I notice every week after the services, I see Michael gathering up all the garbage out of the garbage cans. It's a little tech. Other people do it as well. Yes, you have, you've, you've uh, done well at in recruiting help. Uh, but there's faithful people that are doing that small, as it were, task. And you might say, well, it's no big deal. The garbage cans aren't even full this week. They're only half full. It'll take another, at least another week to fill them. But you notice the people being faithful in the small things. And you say, okay... That per- person has faithfully done that small task without complaining, without grumbling, without saying, why me? And it's like, okay, those, that person who is faithful in the little things, we can trust them with the bigger things because we know they've been tested and proven to be faithful in those small things. And so if you're, if you're one of the people in the uh, assembly here who are faithful in the small things, I want to thank you on behalf of the assembly. Thank you for being faithful in all the small things. We have a lot of small tasks, quote-unquote, as it were here in the assembly, that there's a lot of people faithful in doing them that don't get, a th- don't get a thank you ever. So thank you to all you who are faithful in the small things. And the Lord says, when it comes time for me to give you bigger things, I'll know that you're faithful, you've been tested. All right, well, that's the, uh, that's the whole verse that we have on the uh, character of wives for the deacons. And then in verse 12, uh, it goes back to the deacons, and it says, Let deacons be the husband of one wife, ruling their children and their own house as well. There's a couple of uh, thoughts I want to touch on um, with regards to this. Um, first off, you may not see here in the passage, but there's some people that have argued that um, uh, women can be deacons and hold the office of deacon. And because it's used of several women in the New Testament, 
the, the word um, diakonos or servant is used to describe them. And so people have used it to say women uh, can hold the office of, uh, of deacon. And so they kind of lump it into the three categories, the, three, uh, the two likewises they use to say, look, it goes elders, then it goes deacons, and then it goes the wives or women. So that should be a third responsibility. Well, there's a couple arguments against that, and I'll just point out a couple of them. First off, if the wives were really a third category, or, or women could be deacons, then it should give several verses, 11, 12, 13, should be all verses towards the women. And they're not. It says the wives, and it goes back to the deacons. Uh, second of all, it says in verse 12, let the deacons be husband of one wife, which pretty clearly seems to open shut. If, he, if the deacon is the husband, then he's the man, and the wife Therefore, is a woman. So the, the deacon then is the husband. He's the one who holds the office. Therefore, deacons are men. And that's, um, that's faithful to Scripture. So don't get caught up in the arguments uh, of appointing women as deacons. There's, there's nothing here in this passage to support that. Um, second idea that I want to touch on, um, and it has been talked about before, uh, when we talked about elders being the husbands of one wife, and that is... Uh, the phrase husband of one wife could also be translated uh, a one-woman man. In other words, this man is faithful to one woman and one woman only. Uh, and so there's a, a challenge to, uh, for a deacon to be sexually pure and to be faithful to his spouse uh, in a marriage relationship. Um, and so there's no, uh, none of the pitfalls that come with uh, having a man who's unfaithful to his wife and all the, all the traps and snares and detriment that does to a church. Um, when, it, when a deacon would fall into that uh, activity, he would disqualify himself as a deacon. Um, it doesn't mean that women can't be servants of the church. That's definitely... Uh, True, sorry, I just switched topics right there. Um, <laughs> uh, the one point I forgot to mention is that um, the word deacon often means servant, and it doesn't mean that women can't serve the church. It just me means that men are appointed to the office of deacon. Sorry, I missed that point a little earlier. Okay, um, third point, in that um, it says, let the, when it's talking about the elders, it says, let the elders. Um, be the husband of one wife. And, and then it says down here in, uh, in verse 12, let deacons be the husband of one wife. And so the question has been raised, does an elder or deacon have to be married um, to, to hold that office? And um, here at Calvary, we have always practiced, even though uh, it may not be clearly a command that that person must be married, we've always practiced for the elders that an elder be married because of the added uh, experience that gives him in marriage counseling and so on and so forth. There's a lot of great reasons um, for an elder to be married, and that's what we've always practiced here at Calvary Bible Chapel, is our elders, the men uh, we've appointed to be elders, have always been married uh, men. Now, in the role of deacons, um, you might know that it's not always been here at Calvary a man who's been married 
um, that hold, uh, holds the office of deacon. And um, that's what we've, we've practiced. It's definitely a uh, benefit, I think, if the uh, deacon is married. He has a, a partner in his service, uh, a teammate, as it were. Um, but it's, it's not been our practice at Calvary that a deacon must always be married. Um, so you can, that's what our practice has been. And I was talking to Don about it, and he says, uh, <laughs> to, I think to quote him exactly, he says, uh, if, it is a, if it is a commandment that deacons be married, then uh, I guess we're perhaps a little inconsistent, um, was uh, Don's quote. But we have, uh, we're very grateful for our deacons, uh, married or unmarried, and we've seen some very uh, faithful service from those men. Um, but I think based on this passage, it's, uh, it's um, a benefit if the deacon is married, but not a necessity. Um, okay, let's look at verse 13. Uh, oh, uh, sorry, the second half of verse 12. It says um, the deacons, it says they, husbands of one wife ruling their children and their own house as well. And a similar thing was said of elders, um, that they must uh, be the spiritual leaders of their house. And that's what it means by ruling the, the spiritual leader. You can't have a, uh, a man who's not uh, interested in leading his house, is, you know, let the, the house be, uh, fall into chaos um, and led by the person with the strongest will in the household. No, he's... Uh, given a God-given role, and you can see this in the uh, book of, of Ephesians and other places where it talks about the role of husbands in a marriage relationship. A husband is called to be the head of the family, to follow Christ, and um, that marriage relationship, as we know, is a picture of Christ and the church, a sacrificial loving relationship. And um, just as Christ is the head of the church, so the husband is called to be the head of the family and take on the leadership roles and responsibilities and consequences if he doesn't do a good job or consequences and benefits if he does do a good, if he does do a good job um, in all of that. So the, that's what a, a deacon is called to be, an example of a proper marriage relationship to the church. He's to uh, be the leader of his own house and to have his uh, children and household affairs in good order um, so that uh, it might be shown that he is following the Lord's commands in his life, is reverent towards the Lord, and has a good testimony um, towards those who are outside of a, of a well-ordered household. And uh, I talked a little bit about that, I think, back in uh, chapter 2, when we talked about the testimony that a good... Uh, a godly family can have in the community because so many families, um, I'm sure it was true back, back then and it's still true today, that there's a lot of families in chaos, a lot of families where the father either isn't present or hasn't taken upon any leadership in the family. And for a family that is in good order, where the kids are well-behaved, it has a tremendous testimony and is very visibly and obviously different and a good testimony towards the Lord. And the deacons are similarly called to have that, that standard of having a good household and uh, ruling their, 
children in their own house as well. All right, now we, now we get into verse 13, and there's a, a promise to the deacons. And it says, For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, I want to emphasize this verse uh, very clearly and plainly. Deacons who serve the office of deacon well receive a special blessing from the Lord in uh, good standing but with the Lord and boldness in sharing their faith. And I can offer firsthand testimony that this is true. I've witnessed the deacons here in this assembly and their boldness for sharing the gospel. And I've seen these men get up uh, in conversations with a, uh, with a neighbor um, or during an evangelistic outreach that we've done, and they've gone with great fearless, uh, fearlessness and boldness and presented the gospel. And I've been standing there thinking, he said that to that person? I would never have said that. Because it was so either directly confrontational or so bold for, to point the truth and point towards the gospel. And I thought, wow, these men have something special. And then I read this verse and I think, ah, of course, the Lord promised it to them. But I'll tell you that while the Lord promises this specifically to deacons, I think it's also true of any servant of the Lord who is following the Lord and passionately pursuing having a proper character and a good standing and a good relationship with God, that if you're faithfully spending time in the Word and, working and letting the Lord work in your own life, you're going to have a testimony towards those who are outside. Um, so it's also true that if, if you're walking closely with the Lord, that's going to ooze out of you, as it were, that, that, that fountain of living water springing up and overflowing towards other people. And so if you're, if you're thinking to yourself, you know, I don't think I have much of a testimony or I don't have much of an impact in the uh, unbelievers that I talk to. Well, I'll tell you what. Dig into some service. Find some, find some way in the church that you can work and serve the saints and find some service you can do for the Lord and then f listen to the lessons He teaches you while you're doing that. <laughs> because you... If you want to find out an awful lot about yourself, <laughs> go engage in some good hard physical labor. <laughs> uh, go, put, go humble yourself before someone else and say, how can I help you? You'll get, an amazing, you'll get lots of amazing opportunities to be used to the Lord in the church, but you'll also learn an awful lot about yourself. And you'll learn about your own character and improvements that you can make and as the Lord works in your life and changes you, you start having a lot more of a testimony. And that's what I think you see with a deacon, someone who already has these character qualities. You see that oozing out of them because of the character that they've been so diligent to cultivate within themselves. And you can just imagine a deacon 
who's serving in the church, he gets to see firsthand the Lord working, the Lord being faithful, the Lord providing for the church, providing for the saints. Um, And you can just imagine in him seeing the Lord work, how much boldness that would give him. He says, I know God because I, I dedicated this time to spend serving the Lord and this is what I found to be true about him. And so I know when I go to talk to somebody, I have concrete examples that I can give of what the Lord's done in my life and the ways that I've seen him work. There's no fuzziness to the truth in his mind. He's seen it lived out in actual circumstances. And he knows that the Lord's promises do not fail, and that gives him great boldness in the church. And so if you want to, if you want to have a greater testimony, look for the Lord to be working and give him glory. That's a testimony. It's all it's simple, simple as that. All right, so I want to uh, transition here a little bit um, because this concludes... Uh, our look at elders and deacons and their characters. And we've talked a lot about the importance of good character in the building up of the church, and as I've just talked about in testimony to um, unbelievers. So I want to spend a few minutes talking here at the end about how do you build good character? Because we're looking at qualifications of men who um, might already have this character. And you think, how did they get there? How did they do it? Or how do I become qualified for one of these leadership positions? It talks about the elders, right, as a, uh, the, the eldership specifically as a, a position to be desired um, back at the beginning of chapter 3. So if you're a person who desires to have one of these offices, but you find in yourself that you lack the character, how do you go about building up good character? Well, I want to give you five points in the, in the last few minutes here uh, of ways to build up your character. Um, but first, I want to give an illustration about character. And, the, and that is, character and having a good character is a little bit like sticking to a budget. Say you have some amount of income, your salary or hourly wage or whatever, and you say, this is how much money I earn in a, in a month or a year or something. And so you set a budget and you say, this is how much money I have to spend on all of my uh, living expenses, uh, entertainment, my family, clothes, you know, all the things that we spend money on. Well, how do you stick to a budget? Well, you might be... I, I don't know, you might have some twisted logic that says, well, uh, I, th- I knew I had, say, $50,000 this year to, to uh, spend, and uh, boy, I didn't buy that $200,000 house, or $800,000 house if you live in this area. <laughs> um, boy, I, I really avoided blowing my budget this year. I didn't buy a house. Well, did you stick to your budget just by not buying a house? No. You still had all the other expenses during the year. In the same way with character, you can think, well, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't commit adultery this year. I, I really stuck to a good character this year. I didn't do that this year. Well, you didn't do one major mess up, but that doesn't mean you, had a whole, uh, you have a whole good character. No, the way you stick to a budget is you say, okay, this is how much money I've got, 
And here's how I'm going to break it down for living expenses, for gas, for car payments, for so on and so forth. And then you don't spend more money than you've got in the budget, right? The same is, and it breaks down to every little detail of your life. It's all the little things that add up. Uh, I think of uh, someone said, if you went and bought Starbucks every morning, it'd be some number of thousands of dollars per year just buying coffee in the morning. Uh, not to single anybody out if that's your habit. Um, <laughs> but uh, someone said, if you want to save money, cut the Starbucks out of your budget. It's that little thing, right? It's just the coffee every morning. It's a couple bucks, but it all adds up. Same thing is true of character. If you're... If you're engaging in the, in the little sins, like say, uh, you might say, well, profanity. Everybody does that a little bit, right? It doesn't matter if I swear, right? Well, there's one little thing that's no longer part of a good character. The fact that you're uh, double-tongued, as it were. And we looked at that uh, last week as uh, one of the qualifications for a deacon, right? Or um, this week, we looked at wives not being slanderers, right? If you're engaging in gossip, maybe a small thing. But it's ruining your character because you're a gossip. It's ruining your character that you're a liar. It's ruining your character that you get angry. Right? It's, it's the little things that if you keep doing them, they ruin your character. So how do we, how do we build up good character and not engage in all those little things not just the major things, but also all the little things that ruin a character. Well, here's the first one. In Psalm 119, verse 9, it says, How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. The first building block of godly character is spending time in the word of God and taking heed to it. The word has a lot of things to say about our own sinful natures. And uh, it says a lot, of course, before we're saved, it says that we're slaves to sin, right? So if you want to have a good character, the first thing you need to do is be saved. Otherwise, you're a slave, slave to sin, and you've got, no, you've got no say in the matter. But you're a slave by choice because the Lord offers salvation to anyone and everyone who will believe in Him and trusts and his death on the cross as payment for our sins, and that we can live forever with him in heaven. That's the gospel. It's as simple as that. If you're, a, if you're a slave to sin, you're a slave by your own choosing because you won't accept the gospel. So that's the first, uh, first one that the word of God tells us about our character. But the, the word has a lot of other things to say about our character as well um, that continually build us up and purify our ways, even as believers, we may have the standing of being a child of God. But uh, as Paul says, he says, I constantly struggle. Who will deliver me from this body of death? To paraphrase Paul. Sin is still present all around us. And it's by taking heed according to the word of God where he warns us about all those things and tells us that we are a new creation that has the power to say no to sin. It says that in 1 Corinthians. It says, no temptation is overtaking you except such is common to man, right? There are no uncommon temptations. 
And the Word of God warns us about all of them. So that's the first step to a godly character. The second point is by paying attention to the leading of the Holy Spirit, right? And you can see in Ephesians and other passages where it talks about the fruits of the Spirit and the, and the guidance of the Spirit in, the, in a believer's life. The Holy Spirit indwells us, right? He's with us constantly. And, he's, and He speaks to a believer through the, through the Word of God. It's uh, in conjunction with the first point. Um, to tell, talk to us and tell us. And have you ever had that moment where, I don't know, you said an angry word to someone and immediately God put that thought in your mind, oh, that was the wrong thing to say. And you're just like, oh, I just blew it. You know, that's the Holy Spirit telling you in your heart what you just did was wrong. So pay attention to that. If you want to have good godly character, pay attention to the promptings of the Spirit and His uh, revealing of the Word of God to us. All right, so that's two, two points. Third point, uh, <laughs> you may not like this one. One of the things that builds character is trials. And I'm not saying go and seek them out, because everyone goes through hard times in their life. Everyone. It's just a fact of life. But listen to this, uh, these verses out of Romans 5, um, where it says that, uh, in verse 3, Romans 5, 3, it says, And not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, which means tri- tribulations or trials, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance, character, and character, hope. So if you want to know how to have a good character... How you deal with trials slash tribulations is very important to building uh, character. And I see my mom grinning over there because I know she's thinking of her favorite saying, it's not what happens to you that matters, it's how you respond to it. Heard that one before, mom? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, It's true. It's not what happens to us that matters, it's how we respond to it. And... By listening to the Lord and relying upon Him in hard times, whatever they may be, whether it's persecution because of our faith or just the ordinary trials and hardships of life and circumstances that we can't control, whatever it is, the Lord's using all of those things to build up our character. And how you respond to those things does indeed build character. And you have a choice. You can respond negatively. You can become angry. You can become bitter about it. Um, Or you can say, Lord, you're up to something here in my life. I want to learn the lessons that you have for me. And so you humble yourself and you become teachable. And it says that the first thing tribulation produces is perseverance. That's a great character trait. If you're looking for a good character trait, there's a good one. Perseverance. Stick to itness, not giving up. And perseverance builds, produces character and character hope. We have hope in our Lord Jesus because we know with Him at our side, we can stick through anything. It's not on our own strength. We're not, we're not building up uh, your own ability to handle hard situations. You're saying, Lord, I, re- 
I'm going to stick to you, and I'm going to persevere through this thing, and I'm going to wait and watch you act. And that builds character and hope, as it says in that verse. All right, fourth point, friendships. Friends are great to have in a tough time, aren't they? But also, as believers, we're called to build one another up. And there's that verse in Proverbs that talks about, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. The idea is is that as we work together with each other, we can rub off the rough spots and work to hone each other's character into a sharp, productive instrument. Um, and good friends are very valuable. So there's, there's two parts of that. One, look for good friends. And two, be a good friend. And oftentimes the second part is harder because it's hard to be a good friend, not just to build someone up when they're having a hard time, but also if they're doing something wrong, it's hard to confront a friend and say, hey, look, that thing that you're doing, it's not helping you, it's hurting you. And it's not just hurting you, it's hurting the people around you. It's hard to point those things out. It takes courage. But those are the sort of friendships we need to be, that's the sort of friend we need to be, and that's the sort of people we need to surround ourselves with in order to build up good character. How am I ever supposed to know if I'm given to anger if no one ever says to me, hey, you know, you responded angrily to that situation. You snapped at that person. You shouldn't have done that. How am I supposed to know if that's a character defect of mine unless someone points it out? We've all got our blind spots. We all justify our own actions. We need good friends to say, hey, here's how you can build your character. And we need them, obviously we need friends that do that in a loving way and not in a slanderous or backbiting way. Hey, you really screwed up and now I'm going to expose that to everybody. (laughs) You know, it's not like that at all. The Bible talks about speaking the truth to one another in love. We build each other up in love. And friendships are very important to a good character. And finally, the fifth point, service. And uh, particularly service within a local body as part, uh, as a contributing member of the church. You can learn a lot about yourself, as I mentioned before, and a lot of unity can be built in the body by saying simply, what can I do to help? Finding something, doing it. Small things like taking out the garbage, anywhere, anything, evangelism, outreach, practical matters. I mean, we've got faithful brothers here who mow the lawn. Um, There's plenty of opportunities to serve. We've got lots of Sunday schools, we've got Bible studies, and there's plenty more opportunities that we haven't even gotten to yet because no one has even... Uh, hasn't seen the need and hasn't stepped up and done it. There's plenty of things to do. And if you want to be a faithful servant to the Lord, like the deacons, if you want to have a greater impact, greater boldness, a better character, serve the Lord. Enter into the blessings that He has for you in the Christian walk. Shall we pray? Lord Jesus, we thank you for all these things that you've challenged us with, challenged the leadership in the assembly, challenged us saints.
for, uh, towards good character and what's necessary to honor you. And Lord, we pray that we would dedicate our lives to building up our characters by your help. Lord, we have none of it in ourselves. We are lost and helpless without you. But Lord, with your help, Lord, we want to build this assembly up. We want to serve one another. We want to spread your gospel. And Lord, it all comes from taking heed according to your word. And so Lord, we pray that this word would be uh, committed into our hearts. Um, Lord, that we might faithfully serve you this week and beyond. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.